as you can see on the stage here, we're getting ready for Christmas season. Some of y'all have started decorating your homes. Um, if it weren't for my wife, we would still be waiting on that to happen. Um, but it's the time of Christmas, it's time of Advent, a time, an Advent, a time of anticipation, excitement, a coming, an arrival, something exciting, something to look forward to. Maybe a light in the darkness, maybe comfort from hardships, maybe a hope in the storm, whatever you're looking for, freedom from bondage, peace from turmoil. I know a big term nowadays that we hear is peace on earth, peace on earth, but um, you know, sometimes what we want is not really what we need the most. And so that slogan can become misguided and actually be asking for less than what's best. A long-standing tradition had pervaded Jewish society by Jesus' time. Um, traces of a Messiah could be found all through Old Testament scripture if one looked close enough. People might dwell on the powerful verse scriptures, not so much the suffering the king, not the servant. They might be looking for something more impressive than uh, it may seem at first. Their ways are not God's ways. So as I went through the week, I thought about doing Isaiah 11 or 53, Ezekiel 17 or 34, something you would expect at Advent time, something that goes with the coming of a Messiah. Psalm 22, Psalm chapter 2, Psalm 110, where David says that a king preceded him and would also succeed him. And you're wondering, what is that talking about? Zechariah, filled with messianic scripture, a lot of it going with when he returns the second time. Or uh, Malachi, right at the old end of the Old Testament, where John the Baptist is uh, referred to there the one coming in the way of Elijah to make the way for our Lord who was to come. So, pondering through all those scriptures, even Micah 5.2, the town of Bethlehem, uh, it came down to the fact that, no, we're going to go all the way over to what you would think would happen in Easter. Not Matthew 1, not Luke 2, not the beautiful nativity story. We're skipping over to the Gospel of John, John chapter 19. Um, something you'd normally hear in Easter during the resurrection time. But, ironically enough, it does seem to go with this Christmas season as well. John chapter 19. While you're turning there, I was going to discuss a little bit more about expectation. This arrival, this... Uh, anticipating a, something, some kind of gift, some kind of relief from the pressures, some kind of ease from all the struggle. That's what people wanted, right? That's what people still find themselves wanting. Um, just my problems to go away. We don't know exactly what it's going to be. It's a surprise. It's a gift. There might be some clues but um, in Jesus' day, they were looking for help. They were looking for hope, and they were expecting a deliverer to come and rescue them. And 
um, we find ourselves desiring the same thing many times. Imagine if Christmas were more about something besides a Christmas present. Um, we might expect something to bring us even closer to God, not just make this life better. People followed Jesus during his time. They wanted food. They wanted drink. They turned away when he started speaking of heavenly bread. His teaching was beyond anything they'd ever heard. It provided great entertainment in, a, in an age that predated smartphones. <laughs> Some of them were just there for the show. If we're, not, if we're not careful, that's what happens even today. Why are we here? Why are we listening to the words of God, to the words of Jesus? Some of the so-called most popular Christian books find themselves missing the point. My best life right now, the power that is in the power that I can be, um, short-sighted, misguided, looking for comforts right now, investing in this life, but not necessarily eternity. I could list many, many books, but um, let's just suffice to say you're not going to find a book titled "Join the Dungeon." anytime soon in the bookstore you're not going to see dying to self on the bookshelf anywhere at uh, Target, Walmart probably not even the Christian bookstore thank goodness God sees beyond our short sighted once our my way right away mentality you know the people in Jesus day they wanted a Burger King not a eternal king not a king of kings and lord of lords but my way right now he sees past our whims our wants our superficial desires he knows what's best if you're still in john 19 we're going to be reading verse starting with verse 1 through 22 Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him and they began to come up to him and say hail king of the Jews and to give him slaps in the face Pilate came out again and said to them behold I'm bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe Pilate said to them behold the man so when the chief priests and officers saw him they cried out saying crucify crucify Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You had have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. 
Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king! So they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified. They took Jesus therefore and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two other men one on each side and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written Jesus the Nazarene the king of the Jews. Therefore many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word here, Lord. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your truth, Lord. No matter what distractions come our way, um, your Bible can set us right. And pray that we stay in your word and uh, that we go this week refreshed from experiencing your word this morning, Lord. Thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy and your peace. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see here the passion where Jesus is crucified. Why are we reading about this at Christmas time? Well, this was the reason Jesus came. He came not only to die, but to rise again. And yes, there was a baby in a manger. Yes, that shows servitude. That shows that he's putting others first. But what more than to give your life a ransom for many. They put a sign above his head. Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. And we're thinking, great, they've gotten the point. The whole world understands now. No, this was put up as sarcasm, scorn, mockery, emotional abuse. Just to add torment upon what they've already done to him. Add injury to injury. Or insult to entry, better spoken. In the short term, it seemed better for Jesus to just go away. And although Pilate chose to try to oppose the Jewish leadership, see, they're trying to preserve the temple economic system, and he's trying to salvage his own position as procurator, the leader there, just to make sure everything stays calm and peaceful. Um. Jesus kind of finds himself between a rock and a hard place. Not that he is powerless. Pilate, trying to save his own skin, keeps bargaining with the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders are stubbornly opposed to anything other than killing Jesus. And, you know, in the back of their minds, if they had any rational reasoning left, you would think, don't they realize they cannot kill this man they've seen his miracles they've seen him raise others from the dead and yet their hatred is so great they're so desperate to keep their power their position their economic status their comfortable luxurious lifestyle that they just want jesus gone 
Get away, Jesus. And sometimes that can uh, uh, get a little closer to home than I'd like to because during my busy day, sometimes I just take control, push ahead, and forget. I can't do this on my own. I need Jesus too. How about that sign, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews? It's accurate, isn't it? Ironically, what was meant as an insult is some kind of, this is crazy, how could anyone call themselves this, is an accurate statement. And it's written in all three languages. What a coincidence. All three languages that were common in that region at that time for all the world to see, basically. Here is your Messiah. Ironically meant in sarcasm, but truly the truth. This is not the first time a Messiah had been crucified or supposed Messiah. May not have been the first time a sign was stuck above their head. We don't really know that. But it is the first time it was accurate. This was the deliverer. This was the Messiah. The Savior. Lord of all. Um, Even a centurion declares that there's an earthquake. And in fear... This is the Son of God. This is the Messiah. A testimony right there at the scene. Matthew 16, 16 records Peter's confession that, yes, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if we doubted his confession there, we could learn a little something from a Samaritan woman of loose morals, perhaps. Um... In the uh, not so well thought of region of Samaria. So if you backtrack with me back to John chapter 4. We'll read about some of what the Samaritan woman even knew. About a Messiah to come. In verse 7. It reads. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her. Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that says this to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get the living water from? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and your people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. 
You worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when the one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So this tradition had seeped into the Samaritan region. These half Jew, half Gentile people who were not as good as Jews supposedly because the Jews were more sophisticated in their culture. At least that's what the Jews thought. The Jews temple system was the perfect religion and the Samaritans had fallen into idolatry with golden calves and that's a different story for a different day but the Messiah tradition the looking for a deliverer the Samaritans knew about this and they were looking for hope for comfort for someone to come make life better for someone to, as the Samaritan woman said, tell them all things. Make all things right. In verse 29, she declares, this, com- this complete stranger knew all about her, everything about her life. down later it says come see a man in verse 29 who told me all things that I've done this is not the Christ is it and they went out of the city and were coming to him so we have her testifying about the Messiah to her neighbors to her village to the region of Samaria they're coming out to see this one who seems to know everything even though he's a newcomer and a stranger to the region even later verse I'm looking looking 42 of chapter 4 and they were saying to the woman it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the savior of the world they believe for themselves because of his teaching because they are practical enough to see with what's right before them. They're not blinded by their self-pride, by their desires, by their wants, by their wishes. There's no hidden agenda here. They see what's before them clearly. But sadly, the same cannot be said for those who were proud to call themselves the children of Israel, of Abraham, the Jews. And when Jesus spoke of bread from heaven, instead of feeding them, many stopped following. And the same who had celebrated his arrival to Jerusalem at the beginning of Passover week, because he came in on a donkey and they laid palm leaves before him. They threw their coats on the ground so that he would pass along by the end of the week had turned against him. His closest disciples either fled the scene or denied him during his arrest and his trial. I guess it's all a matter of perspective. um, Remember all the hope and the promise of Advent? 
People expected rescue from their ailments and they were starting to feel disappointed. This must not be who we thought he was. Our lives are not being changed for the better. The world is not being made a right setback as it should be. We don't feel like we're being delivered from bondage. We're not independent from our oppression. We're not comforted from our poverty. We're not getting relief from our pain. People in Jerusalem looked for a Messiah to rescue them from such problems. And they wanted relief for the symptoms in this fallen world. The symptoms we all suffer. Christ came to solve the root problem. Let's not miss that point. The root problem of our own sin. You see right after the famous John 3.16. Which we're not turning to today. um, For God so loved the world is one of the clearest explanations of Christ's mission on earth. As you keep reading there, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent his Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 317. He didn't come to show how much better he was. Why would he be born in a manger if he thought he were better? He didn't come to just show miracles for the sake of showing miracles. There was never once a self-serving miracle that he performed. Never once. He could have easily um, made a bridge between two cliffs just to walk to the other side. He never did that. It was always to shore up man's faith. To show them that he had saving power for them. For our sake, not his own. The handicapped wanted healing. Jesus would start with, your faith has saved you. What? Yes, your soul needs healing worse than your body. See how short-sighted we can be. When we pray, do we pray for the eternal soul of others? Or do we only pray for our own ailments, our own physical problems, our own family members who have physical suffering that's all well and good but what about the spiritual that's the eternal part the hungry desired food the thirsty wanted water he told them I have I am bread from heaven I offer eternal life people are lonely they feel ashamed Jesus offers abundant life and hope for the repentant heart This Advent season, what are you anticipating? What are we expecting? Um, I read a book by Manly Beasley a while back. And one of his cliches, one of the things he would often repeat over and over to people is, what are you expecting God to do today that you can't do on your own? Mm. We've heard the saying, or some people are familiar with the saying of... If the Holy Spirit were not in your church, would you notice? Are we just going through the motions with our lives, with our what we value, with our priorities? Are we truly letting the Holy Spirit work? Are we truly following the Messiah who gave all for us? This Advent season, yes, it's about gifts. It's truly about the gift of God's Son who came to earth to die a ransom for many.
Let's think about our eternity and the eternity of others. We're helpless on our own. Deep down, we realize that left to ourselves, this life is futile. That's why so long ago people were looking for a Messiah. They wanted a hero to relieve the hardship of life and they needed a Savior to save them from their sin. Are you willing? Are you willing? Am I willing to allow Jesus to rescue you in your time of need? Are we willing to give all to our Lord and follow Him no matter what? I remember it like it was yesterday. Youth camp 1985, summer church camp. Yes, I was eight years old, even in 1980s. <laughs> and this is notebook paper, you millennials. This is what I wrote on. And I used a lead pencil with an eraser. Um, and this is a hardback Bible. No, okay. Enough of that. But it was 1985 summer camp. Back then, that's about all we could do in the summer. So we went. No. Um, my dad was preaching on the crucifixion. I remember it. I just remember it very clearly. Um, I'd heard it all before. This was the first time that it hit me, though. Because growing up in church, you hear three back then, three sermons a week. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Um, I'd heard this sermon before, but this was the first time that it really made an impact. Jesus didn't just die. He didn't just take on man's sin anymore. He died for my sins. For my sins. It was personal. I believed on him as my only hope right then and there. And whether you admit it or not, you're a sinner like me. You're judging me. No. I'm not judging you. That's just the truth. Whether you admit it or not, you're a sinner like me. And if you recognize that... Don't despair. Don't despair. Life was hard. Life is hard. Life was bleak. Life can seem overwhelming. But the King of Kings died in your place. And your Messiah has come to the rescue. Admit your sin-sick condition and cry out to Jesus. There are no surprises with God. Jesus knows what you're going through. He knows our flaws, our failures. He knows our, what we're good at, what we're bad at, what we struggle with. He knows. Are we like the Samaritan woman? Are we thinking that when we talk to Jesus, he doesn't already know all of these things? He knows all of it. Um, there are no keeping secrets from God. The Samaritan woman definitely learned that when she was talking to him. There is hope and despair. And if you've trusted but find yourself stuck or wandering around due to life struggles, let me encourage you to have eternal eyes and remember why Jesus really came. He came to save a sin-sick, fallen world. Yes, it'd be nice if we could... Oh, um get more comfort um, I'm waiting for the Christian book to come out called How to Get More Money Out of God 
we I mean maybe it's not out there yet but I think it's coming um, it'd be nice just to have our problem solved so our day can go smoothly obviously God has a different purpose in mind at least for the here and now all the earth groans read Romans you'll find it out all the earth groans for the eventual day when it will be restored to right and people thought that was going to happen when Messiah came and it will when Messiah comes back when he comes back but first it was more important to save sinful man and aren't we grateful that he realized that and didn't look past that to what we want all the time we are asking a lot of times for something not nearly as valuable we don't really know what's best for ourselves we need rescue from our sinful state if you've trusted God if you trusted Jesus as your savior good now it's time to be a testimony to others around us to share that with others and to show there's a difference in our lives and how can you do that it's not on your part it's not by some kind of strategy that you come up with Simply by, as uh, I think I saw it in Jared's house, uh, out of First Thessalonians, where it says, quench not the spirit. There's this just long laundry list of encouragements there, pithy, short statements in First Thessalonians. Uh, Pray without ceasing, rejoice evermore, quench not the spirit. If we quench not the spirit, if we don't extinguish that Holy Spirit inside of us, then we can be a light to others. We can be a shining example of how something's different, but it's not them manipulating it. It's not them uh, contriving it on their own. It's supernatural. It'll be obvious to them if we let the Holy Spirit work within. So the whole earth groans. It's fallen ever since Adam and Eve. Um, It groans. It wants to be restored. But until then, there will be growing pains in your conduct as a believer. My conduct as a believer, especially in the midst of a struggle, can be a powerful witness of the difference Christ makes in our lives even now. So if you're like me, and this is the first time you've realized Jesus died for your sins, just admit it. Admit to him... I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't do anything about it. I'm helpless. I'm desperate. But accept Jesus' gift that he offers you. He died in your place as the only means of salvation. And he will be faithful to save you. If you have already done that, then my urging what I would just really really urge you to do is to follow him every day don't act like I trusted him once and it's over endure endure to the end don't go through this wandering am I really a Christian am I really saved because my life doesn't reflect that 
um, follow him daily. Take up your cross and follow me daily, he urges them. I close with a passage out of 1 Peter. 1 Peter was discussing how that, yes, believers struggle. And Jesus warned us that although everyone suffers, a Christian cannot expect to be treated nicely in a world that hates Christ. Not if they um, are following Christ. If people realize that they are following Christ, we can't expect to escape suffering and we should rejoice if we are suffering for Christ and His glory. I see this as a prayer in 1 Peter 1, 3-9. I may be wrong about that, but oftentimes I do read this as a prayer. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this group of people, Lord, this body that meets together. Lord, to praise you, I just thank you for your sacrifice once again and pray that we will live to your glory and we'd be a witness to this community around us just as the Samaritan woman was a witness to those around her. Lord, Help us in the struggle to endure. Help us to be a testimony for you the way that we respond through hardships, through any trial that comes up, Lord, that we not be surprised when trials come, Lord, but we pass the test, Lord, of growing our faith and shining for you. May the Spirit work in Jesus' name. Amen.